What's up, Love Tribe? Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. This is the fourth week since we launched our Love Tribe membership, and we're getting a ton of great feedback from our Love Tribe members who are enjoying ad free episodes, bonus content at the end of each episode where our guest provides a roundup of that day's topic and anything that we skipped over or what they really want to emphasize. And then our bonus round of actionable relationship tips. And then our Insider Plus members are enjoying that free episode of completely new content. It's that fifth episode a month that they're also contributing and helping decide the topic for next month. So we're excited to be bringing that to you guys. Become a Love Tribe member at the link in the description. Super easy. And of course, you can cancel anytime if you don't love it. And it's really a great way to get more actionable relationship advice and help support the show. Yeah, we created three tiers. The first one starts at $2 for people who just want to support us, support the show. We've had a lot of people reach out asking how they can do that. So you can easily do that for the $2. And then we have the next two tiers that Chase already kind of gave a lot of information on, but the next one is seven. And that is the ad-free episodes with the bonus questions. And then the $10 tier is that everything we already mentioned, plus that extra bonus episode each month. And we are just loving these new questions and all this new content that we are creating. And we know you guys will love it too. And on today's episode, we welcome back Dr. Kathleen Smith, and she is a licensed therapist and the author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, and Finally Calm Down. And we talk with Dr. Kathleen about taking responsibility for ourselves and responding rather than reacting in our relationships. So there's a lot of great stuff in today's show where a lot of times we want to project onto our partner what we want to have happen in the relationship, but really we need to take responsibility for ourselves. So Dr. Kathleen goes over ways to do that. And when we're communicating, it's also so important to respond rather than react and a lot of great information on how to do that. We hope you enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hey, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us back on the show. Yes, I'm happy to talk. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of things that are much easier in theory than in practice. At least I feel this way. And that is taking responsibility for ourselves and responding rather than reacting. So let's start and talk about, and these things are 
probably a little bit connected as we'll find as well. So let's jump in and talk about taking responsibility for ourselves. Maybe we can start with why we defer, or maybe not defer is the wrong word, but seem to not do that in some cases. Yeah, I mean, I think a funny thing happens when you enter a relationship, right? All this capacity and ability that you once maybe had as a single person, (laughs) a little bit of it kind of disappears, right? You know, I think about things I used to do on my own, like take out the trash, you know, and now that's my husband's responsibility. And when I have to do it, it feels like this Herculean task. And, you know, and I ask myself, why is that? And there's something about being in a relationship you lose a little bit of self, I think. And it just gradually occurs over time. And you really have to kind of be on the lookout for that because I think it's just a natural process when, you, when you're when you involved with somebody else. I'm sure, obviously, there's varying degrees of codependency. But if we're just kind of relying on our partner for obviously like household task type things, but then emotionally maybe we're ceding that responsibility and projecting our happiness or our unhappiness onto them and and making them responsible for the way we feel. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I know. I think, you know, when you're close with someone, when someone's available to you a lot of the time, they quickly become sort of a mechanism for calming yourself down, right? It's much easier sometimes to ask someone else to reassure you, to tell you things are going to be okay, uh, to manage your anxiety for you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's good to have people to support you and be there for you. But when it becomes this automatic response, when you lose a little bit of that capacity yourself, you know, it can get you into trouble because uh, it's really important (laughs) to be able to calm yourself down. It's important to be able to think clearly and decide things for yourself. Uh, And so I think when we rely on other people or on our partners to do that all the time, that muscle sort of starts to to kind of atrophy in a way. So what exercises can we do to learn how to calm ourselves down and manage our anxiety? Well, I think the first thing is to just observe, you know, can you can you pick a day and write (laughs) write down every time you ask? someone to calm you down or to reassure you, you know, was it texting a friend saying, tell me I'm not crazy or tell me this is that this is the right choice. You know, was it asking your partner, things are going to be okay, right? We've got, we're going to figure this out. You know, um, just the small sort of subtle ways we ask other people to tell us what to think or how to feel. Right. And I think once you start to jot those things down, you really start to realize how frequently it occurs And it also gives you opportunities to maybe interrupt that behavior and try to to calm yourself down. Try to do your own thinking first before you just borrow the calmness or the confidence of everybody else around you. To me, this is a tricky one because it's a balance. Like, how do you know? I mean, I know there's probably not a wrong or right answer, but how do you know if you're relying too much on others? It's like the whole point of relationships with our partner, with friends, is that social interaction. And we talk about ideas and things, but we also talk about how we're feeling and our problems. And it feels good to do that with the people in our lives. But how do you know if if you're 
doing it too much or how do you find that balance? I think what a lot of people find is if they do it too much, when things are really stressful, it kind of backfires. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when the pandemic started, they started to realize that, that suddenly they were in close quarters with their spouse and maybe some of this reliance, uh, it got amplified because the more distress there is, the more automatically we tend to rely on other people. And I think that this was leading to conflict and a lot of irritability in relationships because people didn't want to calm each other <laughs> down all the time. They were anxious. They were anxious themselves. Right. And so I think just recognizing when you start to kind of get some irritability or conflict, that's probably a sign that there's a little bit too much of a kind of a loss of self, maybe in one partner or in both partners. And I think that that's what happens. You know, I think the other way to tell if it's maybe there's too much reliance is, is it an automatic thing or is it a choice? You know, are you thinking and saying, you know what, I, I need to have this conversation with my partner. I need to ask for their support because I think that's when it, what's going to get me through this challenge right now. Or is it just your automatic response? And I think if it's automatic, if you don't do that thinking, it's probably more of an anxious response that, that maybe isn't going to be helpful in the long run. Those are a couple of good things to think about. One of the examples I'm thinking of is obviously our partner's unfortunately now maybe not as much but are we're both working and one partner gets home and you're like hey how was your day and days can be stressful or maybe the other partner is with the kids and we're sharing that and it feels good to share that and and that's how we're connecting and supporting each other that's probably healthy right and 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 how would we know I think that's a good example that you gave is, is it a choice or automatic? So if that's a choice, I'm like, I could deal with this, but I want to share with my partner and that's okay. Even if it was on a daily basis, right? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's, there's differences in how you communicate. You know, you can talk to someone and say, here's why I had a rough day. Here's what I think my challenges are right now. And that's different than fix this for me. Calm me down. <laughs> Tell me it's going to be okay. I mean, a person may respond that way. They may try and, try and fix it for you. But if you're coming to them and saying, hey, I want to share a little bit about what's going on with me and what I really struggled with today with the kids or with work or whatever, um, you know, could, could you just listen while I share my thinking about that? You know, I think that's a much... Um, it's an unanxious way of kind of going about it. And I think that people often respond better. They're often better able to be helped to you and to be supportive to you because you're not dumping all of your anxiety on them um, sort of directly or automatically. And I think people are able to problem solve better and be better resources to each other when they can say, here's what I'm going through versus here's what you need to fix. <laughs> Do you find that in long-term relationships, it's pretty normal that this dynamic happens where you have that loss of self and then you are looking towards your partner to help calm you? Or is that more of a individual personality trait that, you know, somebody can, can be like that even in a new relationship? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think people sort of gravitate towards different dynamic relationship dynamics. A lot of it has to do with the people's positions in their family and maybe the dynamics of their parents' marriage, you know, and I think some people uh, end up in sort of this over-functioning, under-functioning relationship, right? Where one person is very content to sort of fix everything and direct everything 
um, and control everything. And the other person is able, is willing to kind of give up their capability and let the other person do that. And, you know, that dynamic can work well until something really stressful happens and that things kind of fall apart, the wheels fall off the wagon. And so, but, you know, I think what's important to remember is it doesn't mean that one person is just the underfunctioner and the other person is the overfunctioner. You know, I think in my marriage, I think my husband relies on me to do some things and I rely on him to do some things. If we're not careful, we lose that capacity, right? So I think you get that seesaw playing out in any relationship. But I think some people more than others gravitate towards that relationship dynamic and other people just don't. What would you tell someone who's listening and they're like relating to an anxious, being anxious and kind of automatically dumping their issues on their partner and expecting them to fix it? Or maybe someone listening whose partner does that to them. How can they begin to to change those habits? What are some maybe exercises? I know you've you've given some great things to think about of asking if it's a choice or if it's automatic, not asking them to fix it, but how can they kind of break mm-hmm. that habit? Yeah, I think the, if they're the one who's doing the relying, you know, asking yourself, what would it look like for me to be more responsible for myself? in this relationship, make a list. What, what does my partner do that I cannot do or have somehow lost the ability to do over time? (laughs) And is it, you know, is it useful for me to look at this list and maybe try to learn how to do some of these things? You know, it could be very concrete tasks, like doing things with the car you've forgotten how to do, right. Or with finances, but it can also be emotional tasks too. You know, it can be, Maybe I, you know, practice meditating or journal for 10 minutes every day. And that's going to be my activity that is a little bit of responsibility towards managing my anxiety, right? And I think people coming up with those concrete tasks are able to sort of get a little bit of momentum and and rely less on the other partner. Um, You know, I think if it's the opposite, if you have a partner who relies on you a lot to calm them down, to manage their emotions... I think you have to think about your part in it because it's a reciprocal thing. Both people are participating in that dynamic, right? And to ask yourself, what would it look like for me to step back and let this other person be capable and be responsible for themselves? Would it mean not always offering them solutions right away? Would it look like listening instead of giving advice, right? Um, Would it look like asking them really good questions? Like, that's really tough. What are you going to do about it? You know, um, I think people uh, don't realize how much changing how they communicate and how they respond really gives the other person a chance to to become more responsible and to kind of level up as a human. That doesn't mean that they might uh, kind of be taken aback or that it might hurt their feelings when you start to behave differently. But I think in the long run, people really appreciate when they have a partner who treats them like they're a, a capable human. Can you talk a little bit about the common dynamic where one person is sharing their feelings and then the other person is just wants to fix it and then isn't really giving the type of advice like you mentioned, like asking those questions of like, how do you think it should go versus like wanting to solve the issue for their partner to make them feel better? You know, obviously they are 
doing it because they care about their partner. But a lot of the times it doesn't always feel that way if you're on the receiving end. Can you talk a little bit about that and that dynamic and how somebody can manage that a little bit better? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we can all say from personal experience, we don't really like it when we have poured our heart out and someone says, well, why don't you just do this? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, often that causes a lot of friction, right? Yeah. But I think if you, if you can recognize that that's an anxious response too, that some people, when they feel your distress, their way of calming everything down is to try and take over and tell you what to do. I think you can take it a little less personally. It's not that they they think you can't handle it or that you're dumb, right? It's just what they do when they feel the anxiety or when they feel the uncomfortable emotions. And, you know, you can think about how you want to respond to that. Do you say, you know, I appreciate your thinking, but right now I just want to handle this myself. I just want to kind of share this idea with you or share this challenge. You know, I think there's a, a polite or respectable way to respond to somebody if they're always trying to fix for you. And hopefully people are able to hear that. But I think when you snap at them and when you get upset and when you react in an immature way, that just stirs up more emotions, more immaturity, and it usually isn't very helpful. (laughs) I love the phrase you used. That's really tough. What are you going to do about it? Because, yeah, it's putting it in a loving way, back to your partner. You're not trying to fix it necessarily. And you're you're making it so that they're not projecting all their feelings onto you, expecting you to solve it. Are there any other communication lines like that that can get the dialogue going in a, in a good direction? And I want to ask you that. And then, so I don't forget, is there a time or a way that we can communicate, do you want me to help fix this? Because maybe the partner is looking for that. Can we just say it directly like that? It's like, oh, that sounds hard. Do you want my opinion? Uh, Is that something that we could say? Before we continue on, we want to tell you about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We talk about it a lot on the show, and that is going to a professional counselor or therapist. And Sarah and I finally both started seeing one about a year ago, Mm -hmm. not even. And we go individually and as a couple and as much great information as we get on the show from our guests, it's really been invaluable for personal and relationship insights for both of us. Yes, it's been a true game changer for our relationship and we really cannot encourage it anymore. And and you all may be saying like, wow, it's going to be a lot of energy to drive, to spend the money. And that's why we want we want to tell you about BetterHelp because BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. So you guys can do it from your home and you can communicate with your therapist via text, chat, phone, and video. And you can choose from over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states that specialize not only in relationships, but also depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, anger, trauma, and many more issues. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And anything you share is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. 
And best of all, like we mentioned, it's truly an affordable option. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash I do. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash I do. Today's episode is also brought to you by Uberlube. Lube is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether you're alone or with your partner. So if you don't know, now you know. And <laughs> if you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality body safe ingredients and nothing beats Uber Lube. Uber Lube truly is for everyone. Thousands of doctors recommend Uber Lube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. Uberlube's simple ingredients list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And people can use Uberlube outside of the bedroom for hair control, like for frizziness, for chafing for those athletes, for massages, and so much more. And Uberlube lets your skin feel like skin. Lube is supposed to enhance touch, not to overpower it. So Uberlube adds a thin layer that leads to just the right amount of slip while still allowing for skin-to-skin sensations. And for those of you that can't see in the dark, <laughs> which is probably all of you, unless you're Spider-Man and you're listening, or Batman. Or Batman, Cat Eye Vision. There you go. <laughs> Uberlube's measured pumps allow you to dispense the perfect amount of product every time, even in the dark. So right now they're offering ID podcast listeners a special offer, 10% off and free shipping when you use our code I do at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Use the code I do at uberlube.com. Yeah, absolutely. I think people have different levels of comfort and different rules for that. You know, one of mine that I use in my marriage, but also with my therapy clients is that I will never give someone advice unless they have first shared their own thinking and they have asked me <laughs> because uh, if I'm assuming that they want my advice and input, if, if I don't give them a chance to do their own thinking, I'm not sure how helpful that's going to be, you know? And so I think it's really up to the, each person whether they feel comfortable doing that or not. But I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer that my own thinking is not going to be as helpful to a person if they haven't done a little bit of that work themselves because they know themselves and their challenges better than anybody else. Um, and as far, as far as you asking about other, I kind of, you know, I like to help people think of neutral things to say in addition to like, oh, that's tough. What are you going to do about it? You know, sometimes I will say to a therapy client, you know, I, this may sound kind of cheesy, but I say, you know, I'm just really curious to see how you're going to navigate this or how you're going to figure this out. Or, you know, to ask someone, have you ever been up against something like this in the past? You know, um, how do you think it's going to go down? How do you think what's going to happen? You know, uh, just good questions like that, I think, um, are, are pretty easy to generate. If Even if they're just getting more facts about the situation, I think that that helps a person begin to do that good thinking on their own. And it helps calm things down because when you ask good questions, a, a different part of your brain gets used, right? It's that frontal lobe, that sort of more evolved human part of our brain and not this reactive kind of lizard brain that we have that's just all anxiety, right? And so that just literally asking questions 
automatically calms another person down most of the time. Yeah, I was about to to say, sometimes I feel like asking a question would almost irritate Chase even more. <laughs> like you'd be like, oh, wait, <laughs> give me your feedback. But then sometimes when you give the feedback, it's not wanted. So it's there's probably an interesting dynamic there to in the moment decide what is the best response. Yeah, you know, and I think it's important to remember that anytime you interrupt a dynamic, the other person, you got to give the other person a little bit of a chance to catch up, right? Mm -hmm. If the other person, if all of a sudden I'm asking questions and not trying to fix it for you, you know, the other person's going to go, what? Like, you seem different. Who are you? You know, uh, And that's okay. You know, give them a little bit of time to catch up and, and, and the dynamic will resettle, right? But anytime you do something different than what you would normally do, it might kind of stir things up a little bit. That's a great point. It's like we give a lot of, we don't give, we, we interview a lot of people like yourself on the show and we're getting these tips and it's like you take that back to your relationship and suddenly... Your partner's maybe not as informed, hasn't listened to the podcast, and you're like suddenly a relationship Jedi and just <laughs> doing all these things, asking these questions, and it could probably have some blowback So, because uh, they're just not prepared for it, and it's they're used to a certain dynamic, even if it's an unhealthy one. I like to compare it to uh, when people get sober in a family. You know, they think that everyone's going to welcome them and be you know, <laughs> be mm -hmm. wonderful, but th they've changed the dynamic, right? And people may not like that at first and they have to readjust to it. And I think in, re in relationships, it's the same way if you start to behave differently. So let's talk a little bit about responding rather than reacting, because I feel like this ties into these conversations. Maybe you're sharing this stuff with your partner and that's going to elicit feelings in both people, the person that's sharing, maybe they're, they're feeling anxious and then the person responding and hopefully responding rather than maybe automatically reacting to that same pattern. So what are some ways we can respond rather than react? Well, I think the first thing to note is that reacting is your attempt to manage the anxiety as quickly as possible. So it's what we do to calm things down. And so if you're trying to respond, right, that means you have to put up with the anxiety because you're not doing what you would normally do <laughs> to calm everybody down, right? And so there's a little bit of discomfort that kind of goes along with, with interrupting those behaviors. And so I think of responding as sort of you know, your best thinking in action. It could look like asking those good questions, right? It could look like saying that, you know, you disagree with someone or you have a different opinion, right? As opposed to automatically agreeing with them to calm them down, right? It is, um, it's not, basically responding is not about relationship pressure. It's not about trying to make the other person happy or about trying to make the person calm. It's about you expressing what you actually believe what you actually value, um, regardless of the response, which can be really scary. And we've talked about it with whole episodes dedicated to it, but mindfulness and just being present and not letting our emotions get the better of us because that is all too common, speaking from personal experience, that just taking a pause, maybe taking a deep breath before sharing something or after something is shared 
so that I am responding and not just going down a usually negative reaction? Yeah, one thing I do is I I ask myself on a scale of 1 to 100 how distressed or upset the other person is or how anxious they are. And then I imagine, you know, I say, okay, if this person is an 80, responding would look like me trying to be like, I don't know, a 70 or below. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. let's not to be too optimistic, right? <laughs> because when other people are upset, we feel that very strongly, you know? And so I have to ask myself, what what is it going to take for me to get down to that number? Do I need to like relax my shoulders? Do I need to take a deep breath? You know, what do I sort of physically need to do to to calm myself down and to do good thinking right before I respond? And so that's a helpful exercise for me to do is just to be aware and to estimate how much anxiety is coming at me, right? <laughs> and then to try and dial at least my part of it down a little bit because I know I'm going to be so much more useful to my husband, to a therapy client, to a friend, right? If I'm able to do that. That's a great way to think about it because we probably often are trying consciously or unconsciously to match mm-hmm. that anxiety or <laughs> exceed it. So it's like, okay, I want to, I want to be 10 points below whatever <laughs> just happened that I was on the receiving end or even better yet, 50. <laughs> Yeah, it's so contagious and so automatic. So if you're not paying attention, you will automatically jump up to that same level. It's so funny that you mentioned that because prior to this interview, we were going over some work stuff and pretty quickly things escalated. And then we both found ourselves talking way louder than we normally do, (laughs) slightly yelling. But it was like we both escalated each other because we were trying to like one up each other's volume. So it's very... Very interesting how quickly that can happen when you're not aware of those emotions. Yeah, I feel like the uh, volume of people's voices, maybe there's some deeper psychological thing there that like the volume and tone escalate. Like it's just maybe like an animalistic fight or flight, like fight and we got to match that. Just Sarah giving the example that, yeah, and it's not just before the show, but a lot of times, but then if she responds with a much like 10, 20 points lower, I kind of, it puts my escalation into perspective. But whereas if it's just the same level, it's like, oh, okay, we're both doing the same thing here. But if, if her tone is like subdued when, when maybe we were both even higher and then the tone comes in more subdued, lower level of volume, I'm just speaking from experience, <laughs> then, then I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit out of line here. And, and it, it like adds perspective to what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, we forget that the fastest way to calm down a room is to calm ourselves down because what we try and do is calm everyone else down. Right. Or, or match their intensity, which is what you just described. But if you calm yourself down, the other person is kind of they recognize it. They feel a little immature, maybe, and they readjust a lot of the time. And so I think recognizing that's what responding is, is putting the focus back on yourself and not on managing the other person. Love that. I've definitely felt immature in those moments (laughs) when when Sarah brings it back down. I'm like, all right, I got a little out of hand there. Well, Kathleen, you've given us and our listeners some great tips. Before we go, 
into the bonus round. Are there any things that we maybe skipped over or you want to emphasize before we move on? If you want to hear Kathleen's answer to this question, plus our bonus round of actionable relationship tips, become a Love Tribe member by signing up at the link in the description or on our website. Hey, Love Tribe. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the important links are on the show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. And while you're over there, we hope you check out our 14-day happy couple challenge, as well as all the free resources we have on our website. And thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. 